Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship Weekly Podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from Lead Pastor Jamie Miller. All right, so uh, builders of the Bible, here we go. We're finishing up the last uh, installment of this short series. If you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 36, that's where I'm going to be first. But let me just do a quick review and mention. It started with Abraham. God comes to this guy, 1800 B.C., way back there in the middle of just like what's out there. I don't not not a lot. They can see the stars like crazy, right? 1800 B.C. comes to Abraham and makes a promise. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And so we saw by looking at Abraham, God built a worldwide family of promise, a worldwide family of faith, a worldwide family of worship, all those things through through Abraham. Then last week we talked about Moses and we saw that Moses, God comes and finds this guy who's at the bottom of of the barrel. He's out in the middle of the desert and he speaks to Moses. And one of the things we saw was that God wants to do stuff in us personally. He wants us to have our character shaped and so that we can persevere and endure and go the long haul. And he also wants to do something in us together, that we would be a people that are a pilgrim people on a journey, walking in the holiness of God. That's what God's calling us to. And this week, we're looking at David. David, let's read this verse together. Uh, For when David had served God's purpose in his generation, his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. It's it's actually a a great verse. You know, it's got got a little morbid touch to it. But if you think about it like this, I mean, he did what God wanted him to do. He served God's purpose. And man, what a great way to live for all of us to serve God's purpose in our generation. And then we go to sleep. You know, we join our fathers in the grave. All right. With the hope of resurrection. So what we want to do, um, it's a great verse, and it really does apply to us, but what we want to do in this message today is hone in on the promise that God makes to David. He makes this promise that is still being fulfilled today. It's still changing the world right now. So we're going to talk about that promise in just a minute. And it's a promise that's it's still going, and God is still building His family, and it's good news because we are, and I want to just say this tenderly, we are fragile people. And if I can just, just, you don't have to like do a big hand raise, but just kind of let me know. If you know that you're a fragile person somewhere in there, I can see get a witness. Several of you guys are actually a lot more than I thought. That's awesome. We are fragile people. We are made of dust. And God takes fragile people and he does extraordinary things. He makes beautiful things out of us, to quote uh, some singer named Michael Gunger, right? He makes beautiful things out of us. So we're going to look at this story through the lens of Jesus, which is how we should do theology. We should look at life. We should look at the Scriptures through the lens of Jesus is the key that unlocks what the Bible is about. So let's look at this through the lens of Jesus. The story, when you look at Jesus, you see the story of Israel. And then you see the story of Israel's God. And if you keep following this, you see the story of how Israel's God became king. Which is amazing. Israel at one point rejected God uh, rejected God as king, and God works this plan through David to bring about Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. And it's awesome. And hopefully we'll all be encouraged more as we just hear this story again today. So think about the Gospels. 
A Messiah is promised in the context of the story of Israel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The, the New Testament starts off and says, This is the genealogy, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right there at the beginning of the New Testament, you've got son of David. And then Jesus goes out, he's preaching the kingdom of God, he's healing people. He's de- and it's, it's really, it's not like, hey, would you think about this and consider this? He goes out and he speaks with authority. He says, the kingdom's here. Believe, trust, repent, believe the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here. That's Jesus' method. You know, and it's, it's different than kind of sometimes the way we, you know, he didn't go out with the four spiritual laws or, you know, do, doing a track. He's literally demonstrating what heaven is like on earth through this man. That's what's happening. So you get to the end of the gospel, almost to the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, and you've got the last thing Jesus, they don't ask him any more questions after this interaction where he quotes Psalm 110. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, when the Pharisees were gathered, he asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord, the son of David? For he says, here's the Psalm 110 quote. It's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, by the way. Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. It's so he's saying David, by the spirit, is looking into heaven and saying, the Lord said to my son, my Lord. It's like God said to God. Yahweh says to Yahweh. What? They don't have an answer for that, right? So they dared ask him no more questions. So David's right there at the beginning of Matthew. David is right there as things are getting wrapped up before the crucifixion. So Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus is raised on the third day by the power of God. He walks on the earth for 40 days. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. A few more days go by and Pentecost comes. And Peter stands up in front of everybody and preaches this sermon. And he says, God knew this was going to happen, but you guys killed him. You put him to death on a cross. You beat him. And and then he starts quoting uh, Psalm 16, in which David says, I've set the Lord always before me. He's talking about Jesus. I've set the Lord always before me. My body won't see decay, for you're going to raise me up. So that's that's Peter interpreting what happened to Jesus through, through David. David's right there. And so God raised him from the dead and let all Israel be assured of this, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He quotes Psalm 110, and he says, He is Lord and Christ, which means He is Lord and King. That's what Messiah means. That's what Christ means. He's Lord and King. He reigns. So this theme is just, it's run through the Gospels. They're preaching it in Acts, and they go on and preach that same thing over and over again and over in the book of Acts. That's what's happening there. Paul starts out the, 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 uh, the letter to the Romans and he says, Jesus Christ is a descendant of David. This is how he starts his gospel. Jesus is a descendant of David and he's declared with power to be the Son of God. He goes on, just boom, the resurrection. Jesus is who he claimed to be, the descendant of David. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, again, says that this is my gospel 
according to the Scriptures. And it's important that you understand when we're preaching the Gospel, it's according to the Scriptures. Not just, you know, Jesus did this, you believe this, and you can go to heaven when you die. That is so truncated. It's not untrue. It's just so truncated. It misses so many layers and so much, so many aspects of the story that when you see Jesus come on the scene and preach the Gospel, you're like, wait, that kind of doesn't fit the way we do it. Well, maybe we need to expand our own telling of the story so that it includes enough so that it makes sense when we see Jesus going, the kingdom is here. And everybody's like, yeah, the kingdom's here. And that makes sense, right? So uh, uh, according to the Scriptures, Paul, the last letter Paul writes, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. This is interesting. This is his last kind of explanation of the Gospel. 2.8, last letter that he writes before he dies. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Boom. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Anybody been saying that as you're sharing the gospel with your friends? I'm saying there's room here for us to expand this to get more in line with the story as it's being played out in Scripture. Not just the way it was passed down to us, but what is the big story? Why does that matter so much? Descendant of David. I mean, the very last page of the New Testament, the last thing that Jesus Christ says in Revelation. Check it out. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Jesus Himself says, I, Jesus, have sent you my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Isn't that interesting? Like what Jesus wants to say in the last page of the New Testament, the last thing he says is that he's the root, the beginning, and the offspring of David. Okay, so we've got to figure this thing out, right? Okay, so have we learned this yet? What does this mean? Oh, you're going to do a flyover. Yeah, I'm going to do a flyover. You guys are great. At least Micah is. He was in first service. Um, so I'm doing a flyover of David's life. David was born the son of Jesse. Son of Jesse. And then he's anointed to be king somewhere, probably a young teenager or something. <coughs> kind of find. So I didn't blow you guys out with a cough. Um, so he's anointed to be king. And then he almost immediately after that goes out, joins his brothers on the battle line, and he kills who? Whoosh. Boom. Uh, Kills Goliath. And then the women start singing. Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his tens of thousands. Drives Saul crazy. Saul ends up bringing him into the palace because he can play the harp or whatever the instrument was of the day that he was playing. And... And he could play and bring peace to Saul. Meanwhile, David becomes great friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. They were like best friends, buds. And, and uh, they loved each other. You roll the clock forward, <coughs> and, and uh, David eventually starts being pursued by Saul. David, uh, Saul gets jealous of David. Saul's pursuing him. And a big part of the story is David hiding out, but also honoring the one who's in authority over him. That's a key part of that story is that David doesn't just take him out when he could have. He didn't take out the Lord's anointed. Saul ends up killing himself 
in the end. Okay, so all of that's happening, all that drama. David becomes king. David takes the ark back to Jerusalem. Then there's a big story that we're going to look at in just a second with Nathan and David. That's kind of the focal point here. But you keep rolling the clock forward. David has all these battles and victories and stuff. But then he kind of pulls back and gets into some sin. And he gets messed up. He had lust for Bathsheba. Ends up committing adultery with Bathsheba. Ends up murdering Bathsheba's husband. Their son dies. Things kind of get wacky. They end up having a son named Solomon, but there's a lot of other brokenness because there's other family members and stuff. And one of, one of his sons named Amnon, uh, Amnon rapes another uh, daughter of David by another mother. And it's just it's a broken family system. One of his sons, Absalom, ends up trying to make a play for the kingdom, try to be king himself, usurps his father's authority, ends up chasing David out. David eventually comes back eventually hands off the kingdom to Solomon, and Solomon has a great start, right? Praise for wisdom, has this great start, but Solomon does not finish well at all. It's bad. And it's not even just, everybody needs to hear like, yeah, Solomon, wisdom, but it finishes horribly. It's a bad finish. It's dysfunctional. It's broken. 300 wives, 700 concubines, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's just dysfunctional and broken. And then uh, and Solomon, at the end of his life, is building an Ashtoreth temple across from the temple that he'd built for Yahweh, for God. And just this vile, nasty, gross uh, other temple to another God right there on the Mount of Olives. So it's just, it's, it's bad. It's not a good finish. But in the middle of all of that story, with all of its complexity and fragility, and all of that, God makes a promise to David, a promise that will change the world. And that's what we're that's what we're wanting to see today. So first here, the main thing. The main thing. God is calling us to learn from the builders of the Bible so our lives can point to Jesus and we can be participants. We can participate in that story in our generation. Who wants in on that? That's what I that's what I want to do with my life. Lord, help us. So first of all, God makes a promise. Turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 11. 7, 11. Actually, the second part of the verse there. So what's, what's going on here is David brings the ark back. He's worshiping. And we understand this. We want to do something for God in the midst of when we're experiencing His presence. Like, we want to do something. And so David says, I want to build a temple. I want to build a temple where God can live. And Nathan at first says, hey, great idea. Build the temple. But then Nathan has a dream that night. And God speaks to Nathan, and so Nathan goes and talks to David. And that's what we're reading here in verse 11, the second part of the verse. And Nathan says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. Okay, so David, I want to build a house for you. And the Lord says, no, I want to build a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him. or I will discipline him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me. And your throne will be established forever. David is blown away. 
The next little section is him giving praise to God about all that's going on. And so there's this play on words here with, with I want to build you a house. No, I'm going to build you a house. And if you think about it, God's been doing this with us since the beginning. In the, in the garden, you know, God takes the dust of the, and I, I don't know what it looked like, so I'm just kind of doing my hands like this. But he takes the dust of the earth and he forms Adam, human. Human, just, I, I, and then he takes from the rib and, and he forms female. And so now you've got male and female there together who fully represent the image of God together. Together. That's how they, it can only happen together. So that's, that's God's always into this building stuff. And that's what he's going to do now. He said, I'm going to build not just a house for you, I'm going to build a family that's going to become a house that's going to touch all the nations of the earth. Where, and, and we have to, it's so, it's so important for us to understand that it's always, just like I talked about with Abraham, with Moses, it's always a plan to touch not just Israel, the nation, but to touch all of the nations through Israel. So together, Jew and Gentile in Jesus Christ, touching all of the nations. And you see the Psalms picking up this theme. I wrote the Psalms down for I wrote a few down for you there, Psalm 2. And your homework assignment, if you want to, if you take this challenge, um, this message will self-destruct in five seconds. But if you take the challenge to, to do the homework, look, read that. I'm going to just, I'll quote a few lines from you. You'll get it. But in Psalm 2, I've inst- it's, a, it's a psalm about the king, the son who is the king. I've installed my king on my holy hill, Jerusalem. I will make the nations your inheritance. I will make the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm 72. He will defend the afflicted. Talking about the king. He will save the children. Crush the oppressor. He will endure. He will rule from sea to sea. From, uh, to the ends of the earth he will rule. And all nations will be blessed through him. And all nations will call him blessed. I mean, we're still doing it. We're doing it this morning. You know, the king of glory. That the king of glory may come in. We're singing about the reign of of Jesus Christ. You know, that's what's going on there. Psalm 132, Psalm 89. All of these psalms rehearse this promise and that my love will never, ever be taken from him. So you roll the clock forward and you get to the New Testament and the Jews are there in Jerusalem and they're blown away because now Paul and Barnabas are telling them stories about Gentiles that have come to Christ. And so they call a council in Jerusalem and say, what do we do about this? And they hear the testimony. And then James stands up and he says, wow, OK, the promise was given to David and we watched those kings that came after him mess up. We were exiled. It looked like this whole thing was falling apart. But look, David's fall. And he quotes Amos. He said, David's fallen tent has been restored. And the promise that came to David is now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You know, it's awesome. It's an awesome story. And so it's so much bigger than they could understand. And it's so much bigger than we can understand. That's what it's like to be in God's family. It just we have stepped onto a moving train that was from Abraham on just this expanding thing of influence on the earth. And here we are in the middle of this story ourselves. And we've stepped into something that is so much bigger than we can get our hands around. And it's awesome. I mean, it just rocks your world when you think about it. And the cool thing is, we've been given promises. 
Now, you may not always think about that. Think about it more. We have been given promises, and every single one of the promises we've been given, they're yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All your promises are yes and amen. Yeah. Um, so, so that's what we've got. You know, and, and it's just like, if we're new, or we've been gotten a little just kind of cloudy in our vision, sometimes we need to be wooed back to seeing the promises of God to seeing these promises and believing these promises and believing that these promises are for us in God's family. There may be delays. There may be delays. That happens. Delays happen. So Kenny's gotten all kinds of promises, but some of those promises have taken, I bet, five years to find fulfillment. 30 or 40. You know, the longer you live, the more you realize I'm in something and I'm believing for something and God's sweeping me along in this thing, but it takes endurance and patience. So let's go to the second point there. God makes a promise. God keeps a promise. So God keeps the promise, but check it out. He talks with David, says, I'm, you know, through your, you're going to have a king that's going to be on the sun, it's going to be on the throne, it's going to be king, and it's going to be forever. A thousand years later, Say that together. A thousand years later. Wow. A thousand years later, Jesus Christ is on the scene. But man, that's a big promise. A thousand years they were waiting to see that happen. 750 years before the promise is realized, Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child is born and a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to have a kingdom. And he goes on and he says, and of the increase of his government and peace, his reign and his peace, there will be no end. It's going to go on and on forever. Wow, this is amazing. So this promise that comes to David, Isaiah's picking it up. Jeremiah picks it up. So 600 years, you roll the clock forward, 150 years, 600 years before Jesus is going to come. There's Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses five and six. And I'm looking over there and it's not materializing. So I'm going to just look it up this way. It says, okay, says uh, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah, Sid, can you? Okay, so that is who that is who the Lord is for us. And that's that promise that's again being still we're looking forward to this promise that's coming. Roll the clock forward another hundred years or so. And Daniel, the people have gone into exile. Daniel's saying, how long, O Lord, how long is this going to happen? We want to be your people. We want to be back in our homeland. And Daniel chapter nine Daniel's been praying like crazy, seeking God. And suddenly, Gabriel, the angel, stands right there in his midst and said, the Lord's heard your prayers. And after 70 years of sevens, the anointed one is going to come. You can do the math on that. That's like 490 years. You know, and I know those passages are used in all kinds of different ways by people doing end time schemes and things. But if you just... Take the math from where Daniel's at and add 490 years later. You know that the people who were reading Daniel were looking for the Messiah to come right when he came. Like exactly when he came. They were looking for 
Messiah. They were looking for the king to come right when he came. You know, and so this is the story behind the story. And it helps to make so much sense. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, the kingdom is here. Repent and believe. And we're like, wait a minute. So what about the other? Is that the? He said he preached the gospel. The kingdom is here. But what about the you're a sinner? And, you know, it's like this. The announcement of Jesus makes so much more sense when we tell the story. Because the point is that the son of David is going to be on the throne. Jesus is the king who's coming to reign forever. And this good news that we preach, yes, we go to heaven when we die, but it's about him reigning in our lives right now. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he demonstrates what healing is. He says, go live in the right way. Demonstrate what healing is. Stop sinning. Don't do that anymore. He demonstrates what the kingdom embodies, the reign of God, to constantly be connected and tied into exactly what the Father is saying. He's showing us what the reign of God looks like all the time. And so then he goes to the cross in order to bring an end to that old kingdom and to bring us out of that old kingdom into the new kingdom. That's what Jesus, that's what he did for us. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of brokenness and bondage and pain and into the kingdom of freedom and life and love. And that's not a by and by thing. That's a right now thing. That's what's happening right now. That's what God is doing in and through us and those who have gone before us. We get to participate in that. Part of the focus of this series and talking about the builders of the Bible has been to go, hey, God takes ordinary people. We don't think about Abraham, Moses and David as being ordinary people. But if you go back far enough into their life, you realize they were ordinary people. You know, a pagan looking at the stars in the 1800 B.C., or a guy in the middle of a desert who's gotten still enough so that he can see the burning bush. Or a shepherd boy who is content to say, yes, Lord, and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to let my heart be holy for you and committed to you and devoted to you. I'm desperate for you. I've got to have you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. That's David's heart for God. Just, just a guy who God does extraordinary, ordinary people who God does extraordinary things with. So moving forward. How do we do that? How do we take this story that I've shared? And, and there's a couple things. One is there's a declaration. And the declaration is Jesus Christ is the king. The kingdom is here. All that God was doing and all those promises and the covenants that we were excluded from and outside of God's brought us into through Jesus Christ. I mean, it's great news. Just, we were excluded. We were outside. But now in Jesus Christ, you who are far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. It's just awesome. You know, and you start thinking about what this means, the declaration that he is raised from the dead. Remember my God. This is my gospel. Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David. Now it makes more sense. It's helping me to make more sense of this whole whole thing so that Jesus comes on the scene. I, I want to order life more like what Jesus is doing in line with Jesus and that kind of dependency and that kind of proclamation of the good news that God's reign is here. And it's not just about then. Everybody see that? It's not just about then somewhere out in the future after we die. It's about right now. It's a kingdom 
that's, that's right now. And so there's an invitation. It's not just that declaration. It's an invitation. Come, believe, follow me, walk with me. Let all of your life, every moment of your day be connected to me. Now, I'm not over here on the shelf. And this isn't a one day a week kingdom of God. It's not a three day a week kingdom if you're really committed. It's every single day. It's not the truncated way out there, you know, heaven only kingdom. It's the right now kingdom. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. No matter what you're going through, this is where it all starts taking shape. It's like, you want practical? Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And the same power that raised him from the dead is at work, work in you. His incomparably great power is at work in us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength when God raised him from the dead and seated him above all authority, rule, power, dominion, every title that can be given, every name that can be given in this age and in the age to come. That's the truth. That's, that's the reality. And so, so that's going to affect my thinking, my, my attitude, my love. My, my thoughts during the day. It's going to affect our marriage. It's going to affect parenting. It's going to affect the way you do business. There's no, your vocation, it's not, I'm um, doing this business thing. That, well, who's the smartest person in the world? Again, if you don't know the answer around here, Jesus. Smartest person that ever lived. So he's got more to say about your engineering, physics, mathematics. You, you pick it. That's who he's got. He's the one in whom are all hidden the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge. So there's no part of our life that we're segmenting away from him. Jesus Christ is Lord. His kingdom is here. His kingdom is now. Now, there's a not yet dynamic. Not everybody gets here. We know all that. and we, I can't unpack all that right now. But I just want to say it's a now thing. And that means it's going to affect how we live, who we are, we're remembering that this King is raised from the dead. And if we believe this, we will see things more and more and more made right in our lives, in our thinking, in our relationships, in our wholeness, in the brokenness from the past brought together and made right in Jesus Christ. That there's just nothing, nothing, there's no news that's like this news. It's the best news ever. It is the best news ever. You guys stand up. Okay, so we want to respond. Worship team's coming. Ministry team's coming. Just take a few minutes here. If you're visiting with us, we do this at the end of every service, and that is just take a little time to respond to the Lord. And I I want to offer three invitations this morning. And the first one, the first invitation is that if Jesus isn't in this place in your life where He's the Lord and He's the King, then I want to encourage you. Even if you've, like, I've believed in Jesus for a long time, but I want to challenge you. Like, there's not another kind. He's the King. And he's the, He really is the Lord. That's why it's called the Gospel of the Kingdom. And so it's where He reigns in our lives. And please get someone to pray with you. If you want to, like, I want Him to reign in my life. That's believing in the gospel of the kingdom. The second piece is that if there's some part of your life where you need the reign of God, just maybe in a more full way, the power of God or the freedom of God or the hope of God or the love of God, the things that Jesus brings into our lives. If you need that, please, please.
please get prayer. Some, some place where you thought, man, this feels like bondage. I don't know if I can get out. Jesus is powerful enough. And He answers prayers in times just like this. He meets us in our need. He's so good. So awesome. And then the last piece is, if you've got a need this morning, please don't leave without getting somebody to pray for you. We believe that God answers prayer. And so just, it could be, if the front fills up, man, just ask somebody that you know close by, hey, pray for me about this. And let's, let's let the prayers begin to rise to heaven here. And uh, be bold in your responses, guys. If the Lord is putting something on your heart, some area of life, be bold and just come forward, go for it. God even uses our boldness to, it's like something happens in faith in our hearts when we step out. So Lord, meet us today in the name of Jesus. We love you. Thank you for the good news. Jesus, you're the King and the Lord and the kingdom is here. Help us to respond in a right way. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.